0: Give up the middle. And Letty Brown has space. Plenty to the right side. It's a foot race. Barno trying to catch him. 10-5 diving. Touchdown. West Virginia. Receivers to the right of Burmeister who's in shotgun. Tavion Robinson in motion. Burmeister with the snap. Rolls to his right, trying to find an open receiver. He's gonna fire it back on over and it is incomplete. Black Diamond Trophy back in Morgantown. Uh, 27 the 21 victory. It's time for the 3304 Sports Podcast with your hosts Dan Steinbeck and Cole Bergstrom. Hi, I'm Dan. That's Cole Bjorn. We talk about sports. Uh, this is the 3304 Sports Podcast. Um, welcome in on a Monday. If you're wondering why my intro sounds weirder than normal. Uh, it's just because I have no idea how I want to approach today's episode. Um, <laughs> I've been—I I know after UNC weekend, I said that that was the episode I had prepared the most for. That might be true. This episode is the one I've thought the most about because I really don't know how to think, how to feel. Also, just quick shout out: uh, Kevin DiMennaico and Andy Losey, uh are the voices you hear in the intro. There, they were on the call. They went down to Morgantown yep. to call the game. Awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, Shout out to those guys and can't wait to hear more of what our guys can do uh, going forward in the year. So I want to start, I mean, we obviously have to start with the big story of the weekend, which obviously is tech. Um, first of all, I want to welcome you in because I, I want to I just jump into it. So how are you today?
1: Uh, doing all right. I mean, actually, as you and I both know, we had to schedule this a little bit later, specifically on Monday um, to metagame this, uh, you know, my opening here. But then on top of that, uh, I actually just took a test, and I did pretty well on it. So I'm happy. Love it. Love it. All
0: right. So uh, also just quick business real quick. Uh, our previous episode, which was our picks episode, uh, due to technical reasons, we were not able to get that up on Friday. So that actually just came out. So if you want to listen to it, go ahead see what we have to say about the games and some other stuff. But once again, uh, Colby and Bertram on a tear. Well, we, we had a five-game split this weekend, and he beat me 3-2 again. So I am once again falling behind in the rankings. I'm very upset. But we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Um, yeah, yeah, another winning week for you. And I am very mad. But all right, so let's start with this. And here, here's the reason why I don't know what to do today. Because I honestly don't know how to feel. I think I know how I feel. But I don't know if what I feel is justified. I know that a lot of people probably feel the same way as I do. Here, here's, where, here's where I am right now. And here's what I think. I think that there are two ways to look at Saturday's game. At the results specifically, not not talking X's and O's, not talking about players, literally just talking about the results of that game and what it means. Because that's, that's that's what it's all about, really, in my opinion. You can either look at that game and think about the result and what it means. And then there are two ways to do it. I think one of them is the right way. I don't think the other one's the wrong way. I think it's just the easier way. I want to start with the easier way and what I mean by that. When I say looking at that game and looking at it and thinking that th- thinking about the result of that game, the easy way to think about that game is that that game has no implications on the season because the season's so wide open, the the conference is terrible. It's not a conference loss, you know, they fought their way back, which, I mean, to the player's credit, they did. I'm not going to take that away from them at all when I'm talking about the result. But when you look at that game, I- I'm going to steal a line here from the Tech Sideline guys. Mm-hmm. And that was a game that could have changed the narrative. And that did not happen. It was another loss for Dustin today and co. Uh, in a game that was winnable. And looking at it now, uh, I'm going to grab a... Stuff that I saw on Twitter, and it is that over the last three full seasons, and now adding on the three games this year, Justin Fuente is 18 and 19 against FBS opponents. That's not just Power Five. That's not just ranked. Just flat out FBS. That includes Group of Five. That's obviously not good. Um, and it's just you look at you you look at this season, and you look at the way it started. Obviously, started out really strong with the UNC win. When you look at the potential for the rest of the season and you look at Saturday and you put it together, what we've seen so far this season, you look at Saturday, you look ahead to the rest of the schedule. And if your takeaway from that, from all of that is, oh man, the, the Coastal is so wide open. Again, the ACC is so wide open because Clemson can't score right now. And we'll get into that when we dive a little bit more into the ACC as a whole in a new segment coming up that I'm very excited about. I, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to tell you because to me, when it comes to sports, when it comes to a franchise or when it comes to believing in an organization or a team, I can't sell hope. And I feel like at this point, the only thing that some people would be selling is hope. Now, obviously the main takeaway from the game that a lot of people have problems with has to come with the offense and specifically offensive play calling. Uh, I, I mean, just let's take a let's take a step back and let's look at the game as a whole you come out and you get gashed right out right out of the gate 6 minutes in you give up two touchdowns you give up two deep touchdowns uh two home run plays it, it would have been the first play of the game if uh West Virginia's quarterback did not overthrow his open receiver who absolutely burned the secondary but so, so that's how you come out and I'm, and already with the questions that this offense has you are thinking, okay, how are they gonna come back from this? And we talked to Carter about it just last week. We asked the question, hey, if this team gets behind, you know, are they gonna be able to come back? That's one of the questions we asked. Uh, it was more akin to, will they be able to push the ball down the field? And again, they couldn't do that. And play calling, calling a lot of horizontal stuff, uh, a lot of rollouts, a lot of throws to the flat, a lot of sweeping runs, and then a lot of runs just up the gut that produced nothing. <laughs> This isn't this isn't like good to watch. Like it's just not something that you, you know, look at and are impressed with. Obviously, it's very, very bad. And again, he, when, when it comes to Justin Fuente and it comes to what he's done here, he, here, here's what it is. You look at yes, you look at the schedule and you see, yes, there are some games on that schedule that are winnable. In fact, I would say that going through, I still think that the rest of the games on the schedule are winnable. The problem becomes okay, well, there have been a lot of winnable games in the last six years that haven't been wins. And you look at that number of 18 and 19 against FPS opponents just over the last three full seasons plus this year. and, And it makes me doubt and it makes me not able to sell you on hope or anything like that. And when I look at, When I look at Saturday and I look at the the response from the fan base, and I look at what has come out of it just today, uh, just in what they had a press conference. It really, it really, I think puts into perspective where I think the fan base is as a whole. I think that there are definitely those that are again, optimistic and are taking the easier way, which is, Oh, the ACC is still wide open. The season isn't over. And I'm not, I don't think I'm saying the season's over again. I've been, saying this the whole time, get me through Notre Dame. I want to see how they play in this game. This was a big game for me. And obviously, you know they lose. They have a good comeback effort, which gotta credit the players for not giving up and not sitting down. And it could have been a lot worse. You know, the defense played really well after those first two touchdown give ups, uh, specifically in the second half where they only give three points. It's just one one of the points I want to make today is just about, When you're looking at a coach, or when you're looking at a program, specifically a program, and then this is my opinion on football in general, in terms of having stability in building a football team and building a football program, you need stability. And I want to flip just to the NFL to create this analogy. Good football teams in the NFL have stability as well as quality in four key spots, owner, general manager, head coach, quarterback. You look at, obviously, the Patriots dynasty. You got Robert Kraft, uh, Bill Belichick, uh, handling personnel decisions and head coach. And then you got Tom Brady. That's obviously quality ownership all the way down to the quarterback. Mm -hmm. When you look at what Virginia Tech has, and let's focus on, well, actually, let me translate that analogy to college real quick, because what's an owner in college? You don't really have one, but I guess you could say that's the president, that's the athletic director, that's boosters. Yeah, You look at general manager, well, personnel decisions all fall on the head coach, head coach, obviously head coach, and then quarterback. Look, you can have some stability at quarterback, but at at the end of the day, it comes down to the head coach because those guys are only here for a maximum of four years. You know, it's not like you're having Tyrell Smiths Mm -hmm. uh, being your, (laughs) being your quarterback and being there for near a decade. And when you look at what Justin Fuente has done here in five, now his sixth year, you look at this quarterback carousel, And this is a guy that came here as a, you know, selling himself as a quarterback coach, as a quarterback developer, as an offensive coach, you look at, you look at the lack of stability at quarterback. He hasn't been able to either put on the field or develop his guy yet. You know, obviously uh, 2016 has a good year. Uh, Gerard Evans you know, has a really good year and look his first year. And ever since he's come here, Brad Cornelson has been the offensive coordinator all five plus years now. You know, they have a good offensive year, but then just look at the numbers and look at the trajectory of the program right now. Ever since that, a lot of stuff has been on the down slow, on, the do- on the down, on the down including just like overall record. You know, you start off with a nice uh, season, first season as coach, you have that first se- season momentum. And then from there, it's just going down. You have a bowl win that year, so you have a 10-win season. Next season, you come back, you win nine regular season games again, but you don't win the Coastal, and you lose the bowl game. The next season, 6-6 and bowl game, lose that, your first losing season in over 20 years at that point. The next year, you bounce back after a dreadful start, but then you have an opportunity to win the division at the end. You don't. You lose to UVA. You lose the uh, Commonwealth Cup streak, and you don't go to Charlotte. And then we, know, we all know what happened last year. Last year was a train wreck. And now you're here and you have a really nice win. I, I can't take away the UNC win because it's still the best win Justin Fuente has had here, I, I believe. And you get a lot of hype and you go to Morgantown and you do that. And you look at the trend of the program, I think as a whole. And you look at what has just transpired. And I think, again, Saturday becomes, and again, I'm, I'm going to steal that line again. They could have changed the narrative because right now you're looking at a six-year total at this point, five plus, five plus three games of a declining offense an abysmal passing game and just no quarterback production from your head coach. And he is hitching his wagon to the offense coordinator. He came out today uh, and he said this about Brad Cornelson, Not necessarily about Brad Cornelson specifically, but he said, uh, quote, I would respond that it is our job to put our guys in the best situation. We've got to get better at that. Their execution is our responsibility and we've got to get better at that. But I would also say there's nobody better at ironing out the minutiae it takes to give our guys a chance to be successful than Brad. And here's what I have to say to that. It's you're going in to year six, to the meat of year six, and you're seeing so much declining production at all levels, you know, record, uh, quarterback play, you know, offensive statistics, you know, the offense every year has been down, uh, except for last year when you have an NFL running back and three, just a a really dominant offensive line that really sparked a running game to top 10 in the nation. Aside from that, uh, the offense has been putrid. And right now you're looking at 107th in the country, Here's where I am, and, and I, this will be my only question, and then I'll throw it over to you to get your thoughts. If this – right now, this team is ranked at 107th in the country in total offense, that's obviously not good enough. But here's the thing. If that number stays, and that number doesn't improve to something like the 60s, or at least – no, top 60. My apologies. If that doesn't get top 60 in the country by the end of the season, which I don't think it will, but let's just say a hypothetical – And this team goes out and still wins nine games. Are you happy about the future? Are you happy about winning in in the ACC? Or like, say, getting to nine wins in the ACC just because it's down and your production is still bad? Because I've lived through this. I've lived through uh, Michigan State, the late Antonio years where, you know, college football playoff year, complete disaster in 2016, three and nine. They bounced back in 2017 and win nine games. but their offense was below 90th in the country. And then they come back the next two seasons and they have horrible, horrible years. Is that really what you would want to have and just take away from this game? Oh, they can still win nine games. Or would you want to see real results with, real, with a real quality product? And I don't know. I think that's just the easier way to take the loss on Saturday. I, I think the right way is more along the lines of really calling out what the problems with this team are. Again, they can still be an eight-win club, but that offense that is just so bad that even with eight wins, what, what's, what would be more important? Would it be just eight wins and a bad ACC, or would you still look at that number at the end of the season? And if it's not higher, than you know, 70th for total offense and the offense just still looks terrible because they'll still they will lose some more games because of this offense I'm telling you I don't know I I just think there still needs to be pressure and I think that you that walking away from Saturday without real pressure and real questions is dangerous and I think it leaves room for complacency which I don't think is something that I'm a fan of I'm just not so I think that's my thoughts on Saturday uh I think there's two ways to look about it. I, th- I think the easier road to take is just saying that, oh, everything's fine. They still have a chance at the ACC. It's technically true, so I'm not going to call it a wrong way to look at it. I think it's just easier than... I think it's just easier because you're avoiding the harder questions. I'll throw it
1: over to you. I, I mean, I, I, I can agree with this in pieces. I'll, I'll answer the question you posed before really going into the game. Um, I think it's kind of... I I... I see that question and I try to relate it back to soccer in a sense and I try to relate that to Mourinho ball is kind of what it's called which is the example of that is is Jose Mourinho one of the best coaches of all time um back in his prime this wasn't really something you could talk about but um it's really something that's been talked about when he was at like Chelsea for a second term Manchester United recently Tottenham um until he got sacked last year um it's something where your team will score. It's something where it's very like basic ball, not basic. That's really a bad way to put it. Like it's kind of boring offense and really rock like solid defense. That's meant to like, basically you're either going to give a draw or you're going to get a win. If you set it up, right. And it's boring to watch. Whereas when you have current play and though, I wouldn't say it's great based off the coach for Manchester United. I would say it's great based off the players. You have the fluidity of the offense and the offense moving is great. Uh, Basically, in that case, Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, To relate that back to football, in a sense, that's kind of what we saw against the UNC game. Now, strategies are very important. And what we came out with against UNC was what we've talked about, a great strategy but it's not something they can do every single game. Because why, if I remember right, I was talking about last week why the Middle Tennessee game, for me, posed more questions than it did answers. And it left me a little bit more concerned going further down the season than excited, if I remember. I'm pretty sure that's kind of what I'd said. Um, And those concerns were kind of shown in this game. So to give you an answer, like, No, obviously, I want to see an exciting defense, but it's not exciting if you have an incredible defense and you still only win 14 to 7 or 17 to 7 or something like that. That's not fun. You can have as good of a defense as you want. And then if you have an offense that's not really moving well against not great defenses, then why is it so exciting? I don't care that we won. You know, you'll go to college football playoffs and you'll have a team like Alabama tear you apart and you'll lose like 64 to nothing.
0: Right, and I, I think if you have more to add, let me just throw in real quick. I think maybe, I like what you're saying. Forget about the excitement part of it, just about the fact of like, oh, you're having an offense that's fun to watch. Think about it like this. If you're uh, someone that is trying to think you know, positively, which again, not wrong, but if you're looking at selling hope as the strategy here, for the rest of the season and you're thinking about oh they can turn it and you're you're thinking in ways like oh they can turn it around uh you know along those lines you know i'm I'm giving you numbers that back up my claim that it won't happen just because it hasn't happened before this offense is on a downward trend ever since justin fuente's first year and you know notably brad cornelson's first year since they've been basically lockstep ever since they both came over from Memphis. I I mean, this offense, I'm just looking at these numbers right now. It's bad. Like, this isn't just, think about this. I'm looking at this graph, right? And I'm looking at Virginia Tech's offense through the years. And look, I'm personally more of a pass offense guy. I think that's the way football is going. Uh, But specifically in college, I get that college has a culture aspect that, you know, maybe the NFL doesn't have. Virginia Tech has a running the football culture. Like Virginia Tech wants to run the football. I think they're the mm-hmm. fans appreciate that. I think that's what this school is kind of about. And so I can't knock it, especially if you can run the football efficiently. You know, c- that can work at the like, college. Like year
1: with Herbert. Yeah.
0: Exactly. And you look at Virginia Tech's historically good teams. You know, I'm just looking at this right now. Looking at the year that they went to uh, the national championship, they were top 10 in rushing. They weren't inside the top 70 in passing at all. Like that's, it's different. It's it just... If you're running the football well enough, you don't have to make up for it with a pass game. But this is just yeah. bad. After you know three straight seasons with both inside the top 60, the, past, the last three years, the, the passing game has just plummeted. 86th in 2019, 89th last year, and through three games, they're 104th this year. And so when you look at it from that perspective, those are the three worst passing offenses, obviously, uh, in Fuente's tenure here. But also, the, run, the running attack is not good. This running game is also really bad. It's the worst uh, since they've come here. And right now it ranks 73rd in the nation. So in both, you know, both areas of attack, you're not doing well at all. So that's where I come from is, okay, say this team wins eight games. Are we going to be blinded by that eight in the win column? Or are we going to look at those offensive statistics and realize that this offensive product just won't win in the future. And even still, if you are blinded by that eight wins and say, hey, look, the coaching staff turned it around. You know, they had a good year this year. Eight wins was a good year. Who knows? Maybe they contend for the Coastal. Maybe they win the Coastal. What does it – and if everyone can admit that every team in the ACC right now is – Some form of bad or has some major flaw. What does it say that the only way you can contend is because every other team is down? Mm -hmm. So that that, that's what it's all about. I think. I think that you you just gotta. You just can't become complacent. I think that's what it comes down to. And yes, obviously the season is still very young. We don't know what the rest of the way looks like. We're not in ACC play, and again, I will say again get me through Notre Dame and we'll just see, we'll see what the rest of the trajectory looks like. But right now the problem is on this offense. There's going to be some games that they can win that they just don't. And that's frustrating. And we'll see what happens come around the off season. And if pressure is applied for certain staff changes to be made, we'll see. Cause it looks like Justin Fuente is uh, hitching his wagon and really sticking up for his OC. It's just, the play calling was not good. We can delve more in play calling. I don't want to spend too much time on too much more time on this game, but I, I mean, just seeing because West Virginia was ready for all the horizontal stuff they were running. And then obviously three trips inside the five and you don't get a point. Come on. It's, it's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's one specific thing of play calling that we can talk about. Um, but even beyond that, I mean, overall kind of in terms of the game, I think there are some things to look at and I'll I'll be positive to start because, you know, that's kind of what I have been. I've been positive or, or at least I try, I've looked at the team and I've had a positive spin most of the time. So to look at it at a positive, there are some performances I was kind of happy with. Though the run game wasn't great. Um, some of that, I mean, I think was just due to a lot of the pressure that happened in the second half. I was pretty happy with, Raheem Blackshear, and I was fairly happy with Jalen Holston. Not saying that they were great. I'm just saying that I was actually pretty happy with both their performances. Um, on top of that, I mean, before I even talk about the two other pieces I want to in the offense, I want to talk about our defense. Our defense had a dreadful start. We gave up, as we, as you said, two scores within like the first six minutes. We were down 14 to nothing. And then uh, you know, we were down by what basically the whole entire total of of the 27 in the first half. But in that second half, the defense bounced back hard. They only scored three points in the second half. We were down 24 to seven after the first. Um, And this included being able to get a fumble recovery, uh, which I'm pretty sure was in the fourth quarter. As well on top of that is getting the pick that uh, almost got us the final score of the game in the fourth quarter. I remember actually even watching that and I was like, oh, gosh, they're going to throw it on this third and 10. They should probably just run it. And then they threw and then Jermaine Waller punished them. And he got what was that three picks in three games, uh, though it could be more. But he's had an interception, if I have it right, in every single game. Incredible. Great job by the defense um, to specifically to rebound and put the offense in a position to be able to win the game. Now the other two pieces I want to cover on the offensive side are receivers. Um, I want to talk about Tavian Robinson. He looked really good during that game. He was good on the returning end. Uh, he was good when he got his opportunities. He got open pretty frequently. Tavian is someone that I've talked about a lot on this podcast. He's one of the, the my guys and definitely the my guy on this offense. I love his play, and he showed it. Um, there's one thing that I'll talk about with negatives. Um, when he got open the end zone but I'll get to that and the last person we'll talk about is Caleb Smith sure um it it was really what we talked about last week and a question that we not only posed to one another but then was also posed to Carter when he came on the pod which was the fact of do you think like like what's going to happen with these empty James uh Mitchell like targets that happen in each game and who's going to take them and I proposed on the pro- podcast that maybe Caleb Smith would start taking more of that. Um, and we were kind of in agreement. We're like, yeah, that might be a good idea. And this game, Caleb Smith took those and he had six receptions for 58 yards, which was double the amount of receptions that he has had this season and way more than the amount of yards. Um, and I'm pretty sure the rest of those came during the MTSU game, maybe one during UNC. I don't remember. So I was actually pretty happy with his performance, not that he was a dynamic receiver, but he was kind of a guy that Braxton Burmeister was able to rely on. And he's like, here, I'll dink you over the ball and you'll catch it and you'll get us some yards. So those are the guys that I want to talk about. I wanted to put the happy end. on. Obviously, the negative end. And as I said, we'll we'll talk about it because it's definitely the last drive of the game that we need to talk about. Uh, The play calling was dreadful. Um, But to specifically talk about this. I have been high on him, so you have to talk about it when it's your lows. Braxton Burmeister had a bad game. No other way you can look about it. He had a bad game. Um, it was, I'm pretty sure this is his worst completion percentage that he's had during the season. Um, he didn't have a turnover, but that I'm, I'm not really worried about turnovers in this case, particularly when you're able to have a better, like, particularly when you have a better completion percentage. Um, uh, and I think even like a yards per average as well in the other games so I could be wrong on that um but specifically there were two drives that really got me irritated with Braxton Burmeister during the game and it's things that he needs to work on kind of leading towards your point that he will lose you more games than he'll win you or like he won't keep you competitive like he's not the guy to win you games and those two drives were the last drive um And then I think it was also the last drive that offensive drive we had in the second half. Um, During that offensive drive in the second half, there was a ruling on the field that a catch was incomplete and it was really hard to kind of change it. Otherwise, Tavion Robson would have had an incredible catch in the end zone for what I think would have been his second touchdown of the game. Um, That was hard to really change. But then I think we even hit a fourth down on that drive. And Tavion Robinson was wide open in the middle, like, like right before the end zone, he was like a yard out. And he was left wide open by the defense and he doesn't get it to him. Like Tavion Robinson, one of the guys that you and I talk about that, like he is that he's one of those guys for us. It's like him and Trey Turner, like the offense should really be um, heavily relying on those two now, particularly with James Mitchell out, like, he was wide open in the end zone, and Braxton doesn't throw to him. If Braxton would have like looked, and he would have been able to like notice that, that's an easy touchdown. That wins us the game. Or at the very least, it changes the talk of the game, and rather than going in the half down 7-24, to 24, we're down 14-24, four, uh, to 24 and our defense doesn't have to look at it like we have a long way to climb. It's like we don't have that far to go. We stuff them a drive, we get a touchdown, and we're right back in it. Um, but then in the last drive of the game, uh, when we were down the 21, 27, the last like minute, uh, there was a couple scrambles that he had that just weren't that good to me. And on top of that, it was a scramble where he was wanting to force the pass. And in that case, he should have forced the run. Sure. Like we were low on time, but like with his athleticism that he's shown during training camp, particularly on the third down during that last drive, like with that athleticism, he should have tried to force in something, at the very least. And, like, like particularly when you don't have anyone to throw to, like, run for the sideline if you need to. But, like, he's someone that's fast enough that he could have possibly got in there. If that, if, like, if I'm remembering that right. So, that drive was disappointing. Though on top of that, in that drive, I'm pretty sure there was like another point. I think ironically in that last drive, where Tavian Robinson got open, he didn't get him. But I'm I'm not as concerned with that one. Um, ultimately, Braxton Burmeister had two huge drives, where play calling or not, he he kind of choked it. And this isn't me saying that I give up on Braxton Burmeister. This isn't me saying that Braxton Burmeister is a horrible quarterback. This is my saying that Braxton Burmeister had a bad showing against West Virginia. And he really needs to rebound off of this because when West Virginia is kind of one of those middle teams in the Big 12, a team that I don't think is really going to get up in consideration for a top 25 spot, particularly when they're like losing, like Maryland's not a huge team in the Big 10, they're losing to them. Like to me... I'm, that. that's never a game that we should have lost, uh, whatever rivalry we have or not, and Braxton didn't perform how he should have against what isn't an incredible defense, so that's why it's a really negative thing for me, and if you have anything negative to talk about with that, please go ahead, and then on top of that, um, obviously, we have that last drive we to talk about. Well, I,
0: let's just get in the last drive real quick, because I don't want to spend too much more time on the game. Uh, I mean, again, it, it's frustrating. Look, road environment, especially in a renewed rivalry like that, I, I think you just have to have your players more ready. So I think, again, that part goes on the coaching staff. Last drive, look, get the pick. Awesome. Uh, elated atmosphere on the sideline. You know, you're ready to go in. You're ready to just – put the knife in them and ready to walk out of there, just smug and satisfied. And look, it just comes down to those last four play calls and the announcers caught on it. And the play calling was just not there at the end of the game. I mean, you're running, you're rolling them out twice in a row to the same spot. It, It doesn't succeed on third down. You're running back out there on fourth down. You know, they had the opportunity to win and look, leaving points on the field is obviously a negative, uh, just want to say, commented on the kicking, and how that's two missed field goals in you know field goal opportunities. Uh, you you have you have that three at the end of the first half. You know you're, you're mean, potentially sure. going, goal- you're it potentially means- looking for just three on that last drive.
1: Yeah, I mean, sure, and that has been a big thing. of uh, what the miss against UNC and the miss against you know this last game against West Virginia, but I mean, there's also the thing of kind of as we're talking about. With the players that we have, and with the recruiting that we sh- should be able to have, that shouldn't be an issue,
0: right? And um, yeah, I, it just—I don't know. It, it comes back to you know what, what, what do you think about the game? I, I think that what, what do you think about the result? What do you think it really means for the season? And again, I don't know what it means for the season because again, I can't, again, it's why I can't say. People saying that the season isn't over, they're not technically wrong. It's just, I think it overshadows the glaring problems that Saturday just continued to unearth that we have been talking about yeah. even just through the first two games.
1: Um, no, I mean honestly, I exactly agree with you. Um, I think this does really kind of show a lot of the, the it showed a lot of the issues. Um, it really didn't show it defensively. As I said, the defense really rebounded in the second half and as long as the defense is able to rebound, um, that's pretty good, and I, I'm really happy with how our defense played. Um, but no, I completely agree. Um, it shows some of the issues that uh, has been that we've kind of talked about offensively uh, going into the season and overall an offensive issue that's kind of lingered during this current tenure, and it concerns me. For it, it, it leaves you with a lot more concern. Like I sure. As you said, I can agree, There, we can rebound off of this, we can learn from this, but having a loss like this to a team where they are, and with other things that you've put in mind, like for example, the 18-19 record against FBS, it's not good, and it's concerning, and it leaves me with a lot more concern going to the Notre Dame game than I had last week, which is never fun
0: right right uh and i've said that I, I felt more confident about the notre dame game and honestly i might still i want to see how notre dame does against wisconsin uh this weekend i think that's gonna be a great game to watch uh and then obviously that leads that that's two weeks away from them playing us i think they have they have a bye week as well it's either that or they play cincinnati after that uh, no
1: they they don't have a bye week
0: is it is it the cincinnati game
1: Yes, Wisconsin, is Natty Us.
0: Okay, yeah, so... Yeah, this is
1: the start of their death row.
0: Uh, right. Yeah. So, I don't know, and, and we'll see how it goes. Why can't they just hang, like, 70 on Richmond this weekend? Please, so, great. All right, um, I so I, I think that's a good place to leave it after that game again. It just, it, it's not so much about the game. It's just about kind of what the game meant and what the results of the game means uh, and how you look at it. And, look, I was talking about the rest of the ACC, and I think that this is a good transition to bring... Uh, to get into our new segment that we're going to be doing, hopefully, every Monday. Uh, maybe if we don't do every Monday, just to add some extra time, maybe we could throw this in at Wednesdays. Uh, we're going to do the ACC Power Rank. So Colburn and I have our list of the 14 football teams, and we're just basically going to rank them. And I want to start at 14, uh, work our way from the bottom, work our way up, because, look, man, this conference is not good. And it's sure. it, this this list is kind of a, a little bit hard to do just mostly in the middle. I think my bottom two teams were definitely the easiest, and I think my top two teams were also fairly simple. Uh, but that middle is just – it's, it's it's not good. It's not a good conference. All right, so let's start out with number 14. Uh, I have Florida State, just not good, not good at all. Uh, look, they had a good fight against Notre Dame, but other than that, the Jacksonville State loss, obviously not good, and then it just got destroyed uh, by Wake Forest. Before I thought because Molten being the starter would be helpful, but it's just not. So, yeah, Florida State 14.
1: Before we keep moving with this, should we kind of have ours at the same time here? Because I don't think we're going to be too different.
0: Uh, uh What do you mean? Oh, yeah, no. no yeah, like just... I, read, I read 14, you read 14. Oh, okay, cool. Okay. So who's your 14
1: team? Oh, no, okay. Yeah, okay, you're wanting back to back. Now I get you. Yeah, yeah, no. Great first draft. <laughs> it, it, it's... it's you know, I think we have the same idea which two teams is between. I'm going to go with FSU just because their record kind of shows it. Um, But yeah, you know, they've had is uh, an embarrassing loss, so I have to put them there.
0: All right, number 13, I'm going to go with the Miami Hurricanes, a team that should be 0-3, got trashed by Bama, should have lost to Appalachian State, and then just got trashed by Mel Tucker and his shorts. <laughs> and look, and Manny Diaz said something really dumb. I know that I don't want to spend too much time on any of these teams particularly, but he came out today and he said that Miami thrashed or destroyed Michigan state's D line, which like, okay, bro, you average 2.2 yards of carry, but okay, go off, I guess.
1: Uh, I actually have a different 13. Um, my 13 kind of, as I'm originally looking at it and I'm just going to make sure that I'm right with this. Uh, yeah, it's going to be, um, it's going to be Duke just based off of what we've talked about here before. The Charlotte loss was very embarrassing. Um, and then, I mean, sure, they had a win against Northwestern this past weekend that, you know, maybe they'll put you a little bit higher, but I haven't been high on Duke um, football at all. So that's why I kind of have them this low. Um, and we've kind of talked about the possibility this could be a team that Kansas could beat. So when you're talking about that, I'm not going to have them high.
0: <laughs> all right. At number uh, 12, I have Syracuse. Look, nice showing you put up 62 points against Albany. Uh but you lost to Rutgers. I, like, I don't hate the Rutgers loss. Like Rutgers is a good team, but just looking at this, I, Syracuse doesn't particularly impress me. Uh,
1: I, I think I'll kind of go with the same with you here at Syracuse. It's just, you know, it's not like they've really had any big win. And as you said, Rutgers is Rutgers, and they aren't in a good place right now. So if you're losing to a team like that.
0: All right, uh, number 11. I, I'm going with Georgia Tech. Um, I, I know big story they just had a nail biter against Clemson down pretty much down to the last play but I, I can't mistake I, I can't excuse that uh NIU loss and you're about to come up on UNC and Pitt both of which have really high powered offenses and I I don't see how you keep up with that and they, they they just can't score so Georgia Tech at 11
1: uh I'm really inclined to go with you there so I'll actually go ahead and put Georgia Tech at 11 um as you said they kind of can't score and uh they i mean the game against clemson looks even better because clemson's seemingly a team that can't score right now so uh i don't know all
0: right at number 10 i have boston college a team that a lot of people would be higher on but my thing i mean phil jerkovic is just out and probably for the season so that hurts them down the line uh probably turns a lot of a lot of wins into losses particularly this mizzou game potentially coming up for them so i'm gonna go bc at 10.
1: uh Yeah, I mean, at my 10, I'm going to go ahead and throw Boston College in there as well. Um, There's just really, as you said, the the injury is just really going to hurt them going down the line. And sure, they started off strong, but like their team's kind of changed now with that. So that's why I have them low. All
0: right, at number nine, I'm going to go a little, I'm a little bit higher on Duke coming off of that Northwestern win. I think that they're rebounding a little bit from the Charlotte game. Uh, I think your Jayhawks might be in for a little bit more of a toss up. I'm not as confident in them doing that game. I still might pick them, but I-, I think I got Duke at nine. doesn't mean that they're good. I just think that they're better than, you know, the bottom of the ACC.
1: Uh, at my nine, I'm actually going to go ahead and go with, um, just want to make sure I'm right here with the Quarterback, yeah, I'm right. Uh it's Louisville. Um, I I, I kind of like, you know, piece of Louisville, like with Malik Cunningham. Like they're there's they've still been able to uh, get uh, good quarterbacks, but uh end of the day, the UCF I'm pretty sure isn't a program like at an amazing point right now. You know, it's not the old UCF and they uh barely beat them at home. And then on top of that, they lost Ole Miss pretty convincingly, uh, pretty convincingly, though sure. Uh you know, Heisman contender Matt Coral, the one that you you didn't really know whatsoever. Uh, And I didn't really know whatsoever, but still I'm not high on them particularly just because I don't think they have an amazing defense.
0: All right. At number eight, I'm going with the Wolfpack. Uh, I I can't I I can't say that they excite me at all. So they're kind of just in the middle of the road for me. I, I can't say that there's a defining quality of their team that, you know, jumps out at me. So it puts them at the top of the bottom half for me. So I'll go with NC State.
1: You had them a lot lower than I had them. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and slam Miami at my eight. Uh, I think that they have capabilities on offense and like, like players like to where they have a chance to be able to compete, you know, the likes of Rambo and Derek King. Um, I could have even put Miami higher here, but the fact that they already have two losses on their schedule is pretty big. Um, I We'll probably talk about MSU uh, as well. Like, I really like MSU here, but... Um, yeah it's still like two losses two convincing losses at home and then they barely beat Appalachian State at home and no matter what I can say about Appalachian State that's still barely getting a win at home against an under 18 so
0: and number seven this might be too high uh but I mean you haven't said them either I'm gonna go with Pitt I think that look d- despite the fact that their defense can't stop anyone they have a dangerous offense and I think that's good enough to put them above an NC state who to me doesn't have that defining quality, at least with Pitt. I know that they can score.
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I haven't set them yet. And that's why they're still going a little bit for me. That's uh, leaving my seven with uh, NC state. As you said, there's really nothing exciting about NC state. It's just kind of a middle of the road team. It's a team that like they, they can pull off probably an upset here or there, but like they're not really going to be anything special and they're going to like have a loss to like s- some smaller school. Like they, they the, the, like the, Basically, my thing with NC State is, like, they could lose to, like, a Miami, even though Miami's uh, in a horrible downtrend. Or I, I could see them losing to, like, a Florida State or something. Like, they're one of those teams that, like, maybe they could get a, a big upset, but they could also get really big upset on, so. All
0: right, at number six, I have the Louisville, the Louisville Cardinals. Uh, Crazy, crazy game against UCF. Uh, I like Malik Cunningham. Obviously, they ran into Ole Miss at the start of the season, which is might be unfair to them uh, because – Almost looks like a really good football team. And how about the SEC? That, they've got some good teams in the SEC West. So I'm going to go with Louisville at six. Well,
1: we'll have the same teams uh, in the top five because I'm going to go with Pitt here. Uh, as you're talking about, they have a really dangerous offense and their defense isn't really able to do much. But when they're going to come up against a team like, uh, you know, when, when you're looking at it like this, if they come up against Virginia Tech, they could possibly play spoiler because their offense is actually able to move. It's just the question of is if Virginia Tech's offense would be able to move. That's, that's kind of an example, but I, I just like the look of their offense, and I think that there's capability that they could pull off some big upsets. All
0: right, at number five, I have Wake Forest. I don't know what to do with Wake Forest, uh, so I kind of just slid them in here because I haven't watched them play yet. But, you know, they obviously have the 3-0 record. Uh, good win against Florida State. A telling game, I think, for me is obviously this upcoming week, uh, a Friday night game against Virginia. Uh, so I, I have them slotted in at five. So I'll, I'll see where they go up or down throughout the season. So I just need to see them play. But a nice win against Florida State puts them at five for me.
1: Uh, I agree with you, Wake Forest here. I'm going to slide them in there. Um, uh, it's kind of that undefeated record will give it, uh, give me that. And then also the fact that they have played well during all their games, at least scoreline-wise, is going to give me that. As you said, the UVA game is going to be big. If they can beat or compete with UVA, it will kind of be whether they'll jump higher or lower.
0: Imagine if that team had Kenneth Walker. Anyways, uh, number four, I'm going to go with the Hokies. Look, really, really good defense. Probably the second best defense in the con- in the conference. But that offense is just so bad that I-, I-, I can't put them any higher than four until they improve that. So I'm going to go with Hokies at four.
1: I'm so close with this one. I'm going to go ahead and say at the four spot is going to be Uh, the Cavaliers. Um, I, I want to be lower on a specific team and I'll talk about that team, but ultimately I, when I look at this, UNC just beat them. I personally can't put UVA over VT. I just don't think that they're at that point yet. And um, yeah, I mean, they just came off of a huge loss to uh, UNC, uh, another Virginia team in week three, losing to UNC by 50 plus. So Yeah. All right, so at number
0: three, that's where I'm going to put the Cavaliers. I hate to do it, but Brennan Armstrong is playing some ridiculous football right now. That game was not on him. That game was on their defense. Uh, So, look, does the defense concern me? Yes. Do I think that they're going to run into another UNC anytime soon with Sam Howell? I don't think so. Uh, So, looking at that and looking at the way Armstrong plays, even if their defense holds it down just a little bit, I think he can put up the points. So, I'm going UVA at three.
1: I I can see that, and I actually kind of like that. But the team I'm actually going to even put here – which may still be a little bit surprising I'm gonna go with UNC it's just because they had that performance against Virginia Tech where they kind of got exposed offensively but then their offense massively rebounded they uh, went all over Georgia State and now they went all over uh, Virginia the exact same they put up 59 points in both games so they have a really good offense they have a really good offense it just shows that VT was able to set up for that which is why I was almost considering putting them ahead of Virginia Tech but I don't know. It's just going to make it interesting. And I think definitely putting up that type of performance against UVA is good and it's going to help them kind of build that confidence back up. So. All
0: right. I'm liking the differences that we have here in the top four, uh, at least two through four. Cause I mean, at number two, I'm going to go with the Tar Heels here. Yes. I understand that week one win, obviously huge, but that offense has bounced back and they really got put in a bad spot with that week, with that week one schedule, obviously coming to tech, uh, being on, being on the road, being the target. And, you know, I think Sam Howell has the chemistry now and the rapport down with his targets. And I think that that offense is going to be clicking on all cylinders the rest of the way. So I, I got to put them at two. I know that they still have – they have to punch up. Like, they're mm-hmm. still uh, a game behind Tech. Even if their conference record is the same, the, Tech still holds the tiebreaker in conference. So they'll, they'll need to keep winning. But, I, I honestly, I think that the Coastal is still theirs uh, just because that offense it, – it, it's looking high-powered now and it looked like it wasn't in sync. Obviously, credit to Tech's defense for that week one game, but I I think that now that the offense is back on uh, schedule, I I don't think there are many teams that can stop UNC.
1: Yeah, you kind of foreshadowed it. I'm going to put Virginia Tech at two. Um, Sure, there's concerns with their offense, and uh, that is something that I think we'll be willing to talk about the whole time, but look at it like this. um, UVA just got blown up by UNC um it kind of exposed the fact that they had that early uh, pretty two not too bad uh early season teams uh to go against that defense um so it it gives you a little bit of confidence when ranking when I rank Virginia Tech over Virginia that our offense could possibly do the same um but then even on top of that really the biggest thing is I Though sometimes it's hard to look at it, I'm a lot bigger on uh, defense, um, which is why I've liked my Colts so much. And Virginia Tech, I think, has arguably the best defense in the ACC right now. And I think it's defense that's going to keep them in every single game like they did against West Virginia. It's just if the offense is going to be able to complement that, and we'll see going down the line. All right,
0: and then number one, I'm going to put the Clemson Tigers here. Now, there are some questions surrounding Clemson. Most notably, can they score? Uh, and the answer to that is probably not, but I, I got to think that they can put it together eventually, right? I mean, that staff and that level of talent on that roster should be able to score. And look, they're the only defense in America that hasn't given up an offensive touchdown. That has to count for something. So I still have to put Clemson number one. I don't think there's a question about it.
1: Uh, yeah, same thing with Clemson. Um, you kind of hit nail in the head there. And then even to kind of just say it like, this is a new team with like, oh, there's like a lot of like new pieces, kind of like something we talked about with UNC. Um, Maybe they're just kind of having a little bit more growing pains than we would have expected. Uh That's kind of the defense that you can give to Clemson here. Um, But otherwise, I mean, yeah, it's a team that was able to compete, you know, with the Georgia, they're able to compete in, 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 you know, as you said, they haven't really uh, given up an offensive touchdown yet. So, um, it's really whether the offense clicks. If the offense doesn't click in the next two weeks, I think I would have put them lower than Virginia Tech if we are doing this again and, you know, it's kind of the same scenario. However, if the the offense is not clicking, we, we I think these next couple of weeks are really going to be telling uh, if their offense can start moving the ball or not. All right.
0: So there it goes for the ACC power rank, our first uh, week edition. Kind of off to a kind of a slow start there, but uh, we'll get that. We'll, we'll get this machine uh, well-oiled and ready to go. In coming weeks. All right, want to move on. Add another segment to our Monday show. Uh, This is going to be the fantasy segment because on Mondays, you know, waiver wire doesn't really open up until uh, Wednesday. So I I think that what this is going to be is just kind of be some waiver wire news. Uh, So yeah, I think this is here. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have I'm going to go through some positions and I'm going to give you some names. And I guess you can react to them. You can throw some names in there if you like as well. Uh, I'm going off of ESPN leagues. So any percentages I give you in terms of how many leagues you can get these guys in that will have to do with ESPN. All right, so here we go. So I'm going to start with the quarterbacks in case you need to stream a quarterback. Your quarterback is going to get hurt or you're, I don't know, running a two quarterback league. Uh, I'm going to give you three names here. Teddy Bridgewater, Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr. All three of those guys through two weeks are top 10 QBs. Teddy Bridgewater is only rostered at 14.6%. Kirk Cousins in just under a quarter at 24.5 and Derek Carr at 16.6. Now, Teddy Bridgewater and Kirk Cousins. Uh, both of those guys are just productive, uh, at least this year. Kirk Cousins has been a productive fantasy quarterback. Um, obviously, he's got a lot of new weapons, and they want to throw the ball. So, plus to Kirk there. Teddy Bridgewater has kind of been surprising, and, you know, maybe he regresses. But I, I can buy in the hype. I think Denver has a good, solid team. And, you know, they're winning games, so you can't discredit them for that. Derek Carr looks like he's the MVP of the league through two games, so got to give him a look there. Uh, so, that, that's where I'm going at the quarterback position. Any objections? Any additions? What do you got?
1: Uh, I do have an addition. I will actually even comment with uh, those teams with just look at the teams that are going to be coming up against next. If Derek Carr does play um, currently, he's questionable. But if he does play, he's going to be playing against Miami this coming week. So that's a pretty decent game. Uh, Kirk Cousins is going to be playing against Seattle, um, a matchup that could make you nervous. But look at how Seattle just played against Tennessee, a team that struggled against Arizona. Yeah, it's, it's not um, the Legion of Boom anymore. Yeah, no, exactly. So I think that Kirk Cousins will be able to still produce, uh, particularly with the talent that he has at receiver. And then with Teddy Bridgewater, he has the uh, New York Jets and they just don't have a great defense yet because, you know, they're in the start of rebuild. So I think that Teddy Bridgewater will probably still be productive next week. Uh, The one quarterback that I want to add to this list, however, is someone that I think has been very impressive, Sam Darnold. Uh, He didn't maybe have an amazing game against the Jets, but he did all right. Uh, and then New Orleans, he, I think, had a really solid game. And if you look at his schedule actually moving forward, I don't think he has a hard game until week nine with New England. So you have Houston, Dallas, Philly, Minnesota, New York, and Atlanta all before that New England matchup. And I think that's not only a really good streak, but on top of that, he has a lot of really good weapons. And he's looked, honestly, to me, pretty impressive. So I think that if if you need a quarterback to either stream or maybe one that you can go for for the long term, go Sam Darnold.
0: I don't have too many objections to that. I think that two quarterback league, that's a little deep. Maybe I yeah, go, go that route. All right. Over to the running backs. I've got three names. Uh, Tony Pollard, obviously just had a huge week. Uh, 38.6% of leagues he is rostered in. So more than 40 or more than uh, 60, you can go out and find him there. So Michel shell is only available in about a third of leagues uh, at 66.8%, but the Daryl Henderson injury could increase his uh, value in his workload over the coming weeks. So just keep an eye on that. And if he's available in your league, I would definitely consider taking a flyer on him. And how about this? This is a name that might be, this one might be a little out there, but Trenton Cannon, who was rostered in 0.3% of leagues. He was, I think just on the Ravens roster, got Mm -hmm. cut, picked up by San Francisco. And the San Francisco running back room has just been terrorized with injuries. I mean, we were talking about uh, Baltimore and all the torn ACLs they have san francisco this past these past two weeks their running backs are getting beat up and three of the, their three running backs just this past game uh had injury troubles uh Trey Sermon's probably gonna be out for a couple of weeks with a concussion uh hasty looks like he could be out for a little bit uh elijah mitchell might not be out as long as anyone else but trenton cannon could be a guy to pick up
1: uh yeah i like a lot of those names um but i'm gonna go ahead and Actually, give a couple different names here. Um, I mean, I think the one that on that list that was my favorite was Tony Pollard. But to add to that list, you have all Patterson. Um, now, I mean, I, I think Tampa has shown in the past that they aren't the best against pass catching running backs. However, even on with that, like not in mind, he's uh, Cordell Patterson's had seven touches uh, in both weeks, which is actually pretty decent for uh, like like uh, deeper leagues, but. Even on top of that, he is someone that got involved in the passing game a lot this past week, uh, receiving a touchdown uh, via reception and also got a touchdown via rushing. So I think that Cordell Patterson is someone that's going to be involved in this offense moving forward. Um, And historically speaking, Atlanta's been a pretty productive offense. And with a team that, you know, you're hyping up Kyle Pitts at the beginning of the season for uh, the red zone targets that he might get with Julio out, add Cordell Patterson in there. The other guys uh, that I want to talk about are going to be JD McKissick and James White. Uh, Again, both very much like PPR backs, guys that are going to be getting a lot of receptions. But um, specifically for McKissick, if uh, Gibson gets injured, he's someone that's been very productive in the past. Um, But then he was also someone, again, that against New York was able to get five receptions uh, for 83 yards, which is really productive. So... When you're coming up against uh, weaker defenses, like when you're coming up against Atlanta or KC or something like that, I think McKissick will give you a good outing. Um, and then for James White, the New England offense has been very productive. Um, James White's been getting James White running back type of touches, but he's one of the uh, higher like higher targeted players on the team. He's only dropped one catch right now um, in both games. He's had uh, just a little bit under 50 receiving yards, so he's able to actually put up decent performances. He's someone that you could slide into a flex.
0: I like all three of those names and all three of those names I did consider for my list. I just needed, I'm just being a little bit more patient with those three, but if, sure, you know, the names I didn't mention definitely go, are available. Definitely go out and get those guys. Uh, although Trenton Cannon is 100% available because no one has them. Anyways, uh, going over to wide receivers, yeah. I think the number one guy to go out and get has to be Rondell Moore, uh, 19.2% roster. So available in over 80% of leagues. Go and get this guy. He is an athletic freak. Uh, I knew what his potential was at Purdue. I love the fact that they uh, paired him with Kyla Murray. And I think that his production this past week really uh, is going to be, it's going to continue moving forward just because of the athleticism he he possesses. All right. So a guy that I mentioned uh, as a potential sleeper, when we first did our fantasy focus episode, uh, your guy, Michael Pittman Jr. 12 targets, uh, I, I think just yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Just on Sunday. Yeah. So Even if quarterback play in Indianapolis is a question mark, he's definitely the wide receiver one uh, in Indy. So definitely go out and get him. And then how about Sterling Shepard? I wanted to hold off on Daniel Jones as a fantasy QB pickup just for now. Want to see if his production continues because he's had a quietly productive uh, QB season. But Sterling Shepard is definitely his number one target, 19 targets at two games. He's obviously his favorite. He's available in just under half of leagues. He is rostered in 54.6 percent of leagues. So Sterling Shepard my wide receiver. So Ryan Moore Michael Pittman and Sterling Shepard are my wide receiver pickups for this week.
1: Uh, I certainly agree with those. And I'll actually even throw a few in of my own. Um, one being Darnell Mooney. He's rostered in just under 50% of leagues. Um, he's someone that I think that has been talked about a lot on a lot of other like fantasy shows, uh, but he's someone that has received a lot of targets. He's already received 15 through two games. Um, and Once Justin Fields comes in, I think that means that he'll become a lot more productive, particularly since I think that he and Robinson are the by far two standouts uh, at receiver there. But when he's getting more targets than Robinson, um, it's a sign that Mooney might even have a bigger piece of that offense than we expected. Or while Andy Dalton's starting, maybe he's kind of more of Andy Dalton's uh, easy go-to guy. Um, But on top of that, I also wanted to go ahead and throw in Tim Patrick. Uh, I think he's someone that you could stream this week. He is someone that... um, in two weeks, has two touchdowns. He's only dropped one of his eight receptions. And on top of that, he's coming up against the New York Jets. Fairly weak defense. And I think that he should be able to uh, get back in that end zone again. Um, and then the last guy I want to go for is another guy who's really been carried by touchdowns, Zach Paschal. Um, He's been one of the m- most consistent receivers in Indianapolis over the past, like, you know, few years, basically ever since he's arrived there. Um, he's only dropped two targets or like two targets that didn't really go his way. i don't know if this necessarily drops. Um, however, he has been uh, Carson Wentz's favorite target in the end zone, um, receiving three touchdowns in two games. And sure, Carson Wentz might be banged up and uh, maybe out for a little bit, but also is Paris Campbell and T.Y. Hilton and other receivers. So Uh, while Zach Paschal is that main guy going into the slot, he's going to be a pretty easy option for Jacob Eson to be able to target. Um, particularly when you're coming up against weaker secondaries, like uh, a weaker secondary like Tennessee. All
0: right. Yeah, definitely some nice names there. All right. I'm going to skip the tight end position because I don't really like any tight ends. Do you have any tight ends to bring up? The only one I can think of right now on top of my head is Max Williams, but I don't know how much of a role he's going to have in that offense moving forward in Arizona. So Um, I'm skipping tight end entirely.
1: The only one that I would actually bring up is Jared Cook. It just seems like uh, he's getting targeted uh, pretty frequently by Justin Herbert. And, you know, targets are very important when it comes to tight end.
0: All right, there you go. All right, I'm going to give you a couple options for streaming defense this week. Uh, First has to be the Cardinals, just because they're going up against the terrible offense that is the Jacksonville Jaguars. They are only rostered in 30.3% of leagues. So definitely go out and grab the Cardinals D in a good matchup this weekend. Uh, And then how about the number one defense in fantasy right now, the Panthers? rostered in less than 15%, only in 13.1% of leagues. They are the number one defense uh, this they, they are the number one defense this uh, year so far, through two, and they're going up against the Texans, who will be without Tyrod Taylor because it looks like he's going to be going to the IR. Very unfortunate for him, but if you're looking for a defense this week, I would go Carolina.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't have any disagreements there.
0: All right. So I think that's going to do it for this uh, week's edition of the, what do you want to call this, just the fantasy segment. Yeah, let's call it that. <laughs> we're we're so creative here. Yeah. All right, and with that being said, I think it's time to turn it over to Ooh. you, and we can get these uh, get this question segment banged out.
1: All right, cool. So uh, we are going to have to go back to the uh, NCAA here, but then we're also going to go ahead and go into the NFL, um, just like last week. So let's go ahead and start out with uh, the NCAA uh, questions here. So the first one is actually about a team that has beat Miami recently, as we were talking about ACC football, it's going to be Florida. And uh, they actually just put up a really good performance against Alabama this past weekend, um, making that team sweat and making that team and the fan sweat um, as, you know, they weren't able to win by more than two scores. So my question was, was, is Florida the true number two in the SEC Uh, Or, I mean, even if you don't even want to be that specific, are they a lot sneakier of a pick than you would have originally anticipated?
0: Sure. Uh, I don't think that they're the number two. I think that still is firmly Georgia's spot only because Georgia's defense is probably second best in the country. It's right up there with Clemson's. And, you know, any questions I had about Georgia being able to score after that Clemson game have been thrown out the window because their offense has been able to put up points where they need to now. So I'm going to stick with Georgia. Florida, definitely a nice story, though. And I think that when we get to the world's largest cocktail party or whatever they call it down there, uh, I, I think that'll be an interesting game. I still think Georgia comes out on top of there. So I will say no to Florida being the true number two.
1: Uh, I'm, I'm actually down to agree with that. Uh, I think the one thing that I'll really say here, though, is maybe they could be the number three, though. I'm not the biggest. Fan oh, sure. Of absolutely. I'm, Why not? Yeah, I, I'd, I'd probably say the three, but I think they're a lot more competitive than they were. I think there's a possibility they could upset at Georgia. I'm not saying they will. I'm just saying that it, it's a lot more likely now to me off of that game. They had a very impressive performance. There's not many teams that are going to play Alabama that close, uh, particularly when it comes to college football playoff time. So, yeah, I, I say think real quick, I don't guess, know how many
0: more questions about the SEC you have. Uh, but the SEC is very exciting, and I'm looking forward – I think the game I'm probably looking forward to this weekend the most uh, has to be uh, Texas A&M-Arkansas. That is a huge game. It's probably the biggest game that they've had in Arkansas since Gary McFadden's been there. Uh, they're playing host. They can end Texas a and season. It's a big game, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that one.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't have any disagreement there for uh, SEC. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm all for that. Um, moving on from the SEC, I think that, that is actually overall my only question on the AC, uh, SEC. Um, actually, I'm going to be taking this one back down memory and lanes as we were talking about them. We're going to go towards the uh, ACC here. And none of these teams have really impressed us. So it's this is kind of why I was bringing up the question, will an ACC team make the college football playoffs this year?
0: Uh, obviously, the, uh, here's the thing. The easy way is to say, Oh, we need more time. We need to see who figures it out. I think the way that I would go about it right now is if the season ended right now, absolutely not. Obviously uh, Clemson, you know, they can't, they, they can't score and that that's a problem. So, you know, we're going to need to see where Clemson goes and Clemson is really the only team that I think has a shot. I think UNC is done. Uh, even though they jump back into the AP rankings, I really don't think that the committee is going to respect them. And I think that at the end of the day, you're going to still see again, Alabama, Georgia, I think Oregon, I think Oregon's really solid. I don't think that they slip up. I think that, and then I think you find the top big 10 team in there, you know, you find a Penn state, you find an Iowa. Uh, so we'll see how that goes, but I, I don't think the ACC wins. And honestly, I think that they put an undefeated Cincinnati in over an ACC champion Clemson at this point.
1: I absolutely agree with you. Um, as we've kind of talked about there, these teams haven't really shown us anything and I don't have like, I feel like Clemson has to bounce back some sort of way. I feel like their offense will be productive at some point, but I don't know when that is. And when I'm kind of in that concerned point for Clemson, I, I could see them losing again in regular season play, which is not something that I think we've seen in a little bit. So when you have a team that makes you nervous of the fact that they could lose multiple games in regular season, when Virginia Tech just did what they did against West Virginia – And then UNC's already kind of has that loss on their schedule uh, against a team like Virginia Tech. It doesn't build any confidence uh, whatsoever for any of the ACC teams. So I, at this point, I'd probably say absolutely not. And I do completely agree that I think Cincinnati would get in even if Clemson won the ACC right now, just because the ACC isn't that big of a deal this year. Um, Next up, speaking of Cincinnati, uh, they actually had to have a comeback from behind win Um, against Indiana, a team that's been struggling to start here. Um, So what I want to actually go ahead and ask with this question is, do you consider this win to be a good win for Cincinnati or a bad win for Cincinnati, kind of based off of uh, how Indiana's been struggling?
0: Well, I think it's good. And I think we have to remember that, yeah, Indiana hasn't been as good as maybe I thought they would be, but their two losses still are to two top 10 teams. So, I really think that it's. I still think it's a good win. Look, it's on the road. It's still a power five school that you're going on the road to. So I, I'm going to say good. And look, you know, as much as we can say Indiana's struggling, the Big Ten East as a whole, I think is really stacked this year, and I think it's a really competitive uh, division. So I'm I'm, I'm going to say good for Cincinnati.
1: I'm going to say good for two reasons. I'm going to say good. For one because it was a come from behind win because they, they, they did have to come back during that uh second half, I'm yeah, they had to come back during the second half, so I think that's impressive. Um, I also think it's impressive that uh Michael Penix threw more interceptions than uh the quarterback of Miami Ohio did. Um, then to even kind of talk about that from the Penix standpoint as well, Penix was held to under 50% completion, which is also, I think, very impressive. And the fact is, is as you said, they lost to now two top 10 teams in Cincinnati and Iowa and Cincinnati was still able to put up a good performance and a good come from behind win um, at Indiana's home so yeah I, I, I think it's a good win um, it was it's something that makes you nervous going into Notre Dame I think that's reasonable to say but I think kind of with that being like a, I think kind of an opponent shift for them um, I think it's good, and I, hopefully it's something that warmed them up enough for Notre Dame, because I want to see Cincinnati make college football playoffs, so, yeah. Um, the, the next up one here, and I can kind of even break this up into two parts, um, it's actually going to be about your Spartys, and I want to ask is if you think that Michigan State should be considered as one of the top Big Ten teams with how their performances have been, specifically on the offensive side, but even to talk about this as, in, as a whole, because of one player I really want to talk about, um, Kenneth Walker, do you think that he's going to kind of be involved in the Heisman conversations throughout this year? Because he's been incredible to start and it's, you know, you're, you're kind of lucky with the fact that you've now had a uh, Khalil Herbert and Kenneth Walker in back-to-back seasons.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, look, I, I'm not going to overreact to the Miami win because look, this, this is still a program that Mel Tucker had to take over. That was in a really bad spot with what Mark Antonio had done his last four seasons following the college football playoff berth look it, it's a very nice win and they have a really like Peyton Thorne looks really solid and that's good having a program QB that still has a lot of eligibility left so seeing him you know play well obviously is a good sign and obviously having Kenneth Walker one of the best backs in the country it, it's really positive now now the, the problem with this is you know you got to go out and now win games that you're supposed to win you know no one expected Michigan State to be really good uh going into the season the over-under win total was like four and a half. So, you know, you, you can't be like, oh, man, now they're this 10-win team. They're this, you know, Big Ten contending team. They still have to play a Big Ten schedule. They still have to play uh, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State in their conference. And then, again, Maryland, Indiana, and Rutgers are quality-run football programs with quality coaches. So none of the games that Michigan State has left are going to be, uh, you know, blowouts. And even still, they have a game this weekend against Nebraska, and Nebraska has bounced back after an embarrassing loss to Illinois. So it could be a dogfight against Nebraska just because they're expected to win. So they got to take care of business. Uh, I'm not ready to say they're one of the top big 10 teams yet. I mean, if you want to say they're a top five big 10 team, sure, I can go along with that. But, and then more than that, I I can't say that they're ready to compete for a a title.
1: Uh, Yeah, I don't know if I'm really at the point of where I'm more asking if it's like for the title. I'm more at the point, though, that I think Michigan State really needs to be taken seriously. I feel like they don't – I mean, sure, yeah, you, you can kind of say how you feel like with, with your knowing Big Ten more, but kind of my being a neutral and outside looking in. Nebraska shouldn't be a hard game for them, though, granted, they were able to compete with Oklahoma, though also, granted, Oklahoma struggled to start. Um, I mean, Rutgers, I don't think that that's a huge team. Indiana's been poor. Um, so I think really – When you're going into that Michigan-Michigan State game towards the end of October, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, um, but as a fan of MSU, I feel like you're really going to be looking for your defense to step up more than your offense because as you kind of said, your offense has started out really well. Uh, P.J. Thorne hasn't thrown an interception yet and has a pretty decent completion percentage. Uh, Kenneth Walker is, I mean, as I kind of said, on pace to be in that Heisman conversation. He's started really well. And then, I mean, even beyond that, when you're looking at the stats, you also have a sophomore, Jordan Simmons, who started well, and he's your number two back. So I think with your offense really pumping as it is currently, um, I think that if your defense is able to show up, I think you should be taking it a lot more seriously. And I feel like you should be able to win that Michigan game. But if your defense kind of starts to struggle, then there could be concerns. No,
0: I'll agree. And yeah, the, the defense... We'll need to improve. I mean, it, look, it's the second year of a rebuild that I was thinking was going to take close to four years. I mean, this program was not good. It's like
1: Mike Young and PT.
0: Exactly. So you're really ahead of schedule. And I, I think their talent gap does catch up to them at some point. I think that they could lose a game that they should win. Uh, and they could win a game that they should lose. You know, it, that probably was what the Miami game was for them. So I, I think expectations definitely change. Uh, I think that this is an eight win uh ball club now but no we'll see we'll see how it goes but yeah i think that their talent gap uh might still be a factor moving
1: forward i will say this and i'll i'll pose this to you as a question that i just kind of thought about it will actually lead into my next question a little bit as well i kind of feel like michigan state would probably beat virginia tech right now oh i do too and i also oh, I, kind do too. Of, <laughs> I also kind of feel that Kansas State
0: would. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I did not watch a lot. I have not watched a lot of Kansas State. So I don't know where I want to comment on that. But um... I'm just saying, based off oh, the
1: offense and based off. The, the, but this is the thing Virginia Tech's offense, it's, it allows other teams. No matter, no, not, no, matter what,
0: no matter what level of play you are, if you're playing Virginia Tech's offense, you have a shot because they're not going to put up too many points on you.
1: Um, and as I said, this is kind of leading into the next question. Um, you and I are both able to celebrate a little bit this week because uh, two of our longtime teams are able to jump into that top twenty-five. With that being MSU, who is now at twenty, and then with uh, that being Kansas State, a team that I've been talking about a lot, one of the pick'em teams that I got right, and they're at twenty-five now. Pain. Hey. Now, with that in mind, um, Virginia Tech did fall out of the top. Do you think that Virginia Tech should have fallen out of the top 25 for a loss against West Virginia? Uh, I'm going to say, I don't know. Uh, look,
0: I didn't think they were top 15 team Because top 15 teams, to me, are yeah. college football playoff contenders. So I always thought they were too high at 15. I think they should have fallen out of the top 25. Do I think they're a top 25 team? Well, I mean, this is the thing. I'm going to go with yes, because I think, like, I look at the teams that are ahead of them, And look, I know it's not just, um, I I know it can't just be boiled down to like, oh, their offense or something like that. But I mean, man, it's just like, I can't say that they're uh, better than, I can't say they're better than K-State. I can't say they're better than UCLA or Auburn or Fresno. Uh, And like I said, in my power rank, I had them ahead of UNC or I had them behind UNC. So With that being said, like that would be the range that you have to be looking at putting them in, in that, you know, bottom five of the top 25, but I can't put them well with any of those teams. So I'm going to go with yes. They're outside. They're like just barely outside though, because that defense is still really, really good. But man, I just, I'm going to go with yes.
1: I'm going to say that they shouldn't have. Now, obviously you and I both rated VT differently when it came to the ACC power rankings. Um, So there's partly with that, because I would still put them barely over UNC. But then also when I'm looking at a couple of these other teams, CCU doesn't fill me with confidence. Sure. They're three and O, but they let Kansas into the game and have a lead for a good portion of the first half. And then on top of that, Buffalo was beating them for a good portion of that game as well. So CCU isn't filling me with much confidence with Wisconsin. Sure. Uh, they beat uh, Eastern Michigan, but they aren't filling me with much confidence as well. They've only played two games. So I really wouldn't have a two game team over a team that's played three. Um, and then otherwise, I mean, if you're looking at like schedules and whatnot, Michigan's looks really good, but against two, um, you know, you have uh, I mean, that that probably be it. Maybe UCLA, I'd put them over, um, but that's that's kind of about it. I I agree with you. I think that they should, but I feel like they should be a bottom twenty team right now ahead of one of those teams. I feel like some of those teams are a little bit overrated right now, um, and you'll kind of see that. But I definitely wouldn't put them over like michigan state i'd probably put them over kansas state but just barely so
0: let me just say this real quick i think fresno state's in for a huge year i mean i agree competing with oregon and then taking it out in ucla in a just gutsy game a gutsy last drive i love it i, lo- I love the bulldogs this year i think that they win the mountain west and i think that they do it really well and it sucks that cincinnati and coastal are there ahead of them because i really would love to see that program it to a new year six
1: um Honestly, I absolutely agree with that. I think their only competition really is Nevada in that division. And Nevada just lost to Kansas State uh, without their starting quarterback. So I think that's something to look into. Yeah. Um, moving on from that as well, um, we are at kind of the final portion of my NCAA uh, questions here. I'm actually uh, going to go ahead and skip. I, I originally had a question where I was going to talk about favorite team to win each conference. But at this point, I feel like we aren't even deep enough in the conference season to really talk about that. I think so, I should talk about that. Well, yeah, well, I, I mean, we, maybe, but I feel like we should have a couple more weeks for that type of question.
0: Okay. Well then here, here's what I'll do. I will flip that into just talking about one conference. Cause I think I, I, I would assume we're only talking about power five here. Um, yeah. So, okay. Just real quick. SEC Bama. Uh, Pac-12 Oregon, Big 12, probably just OU because why not? Uh, ACC, I still have Clemson. So the big, the big 10, I think, is really the one with the most parity right now. Uh, outside of the SEC, I mean, you could maybe have some people have Georgia over Bama. But the Big 10, here's the thing. I wish you had another Iowa question for me because I didn't realize this. Iowa, you no, know, the, despite the fact that they have a top five ranking right now, and they look pretty good, their offense is ranked lower than Virginia Tech. Think about that. So Mm. I need a little bit more time on Iowa to put them honestly above Ohio State. Uh, I think right now Penn State looks just really solid, obviously a really good win over Auburn. Um, And then I'd probably go OSU and then I'd probably go Iowa. And then you're looking at like the Wisconsin, Michigan, Michigan State mishmash there. Uh, So so that's what I'll say. So Big Ten is the cloudiest for me, but Penn State I think is leading the way in, in that department
1: that makes me really not like the power rankings cuz i actually kind of like i was offense not that i think it's great or anything but goodson's been incredible i mean i'm just looking i'm just looking at
0: numbers though i'm looking at their total offense being like bottom 10 in the country it, it obviously you can win games with a solid defense i just don't know if like if that defense gets played one week you know by a penn state by an ohio state i michigan state with that running game with with michigan with that running game with wisconsin with that running game you know we'll, we'll see I think we it's because
1: of petrus is total yards but i think petrus overall hasn't been too bad um so yeah i mean i i wouldn't fully i mean if, if you'll answer the, the power five favorites i'll answer it but i mean just to me as we're talking about iowa i i'm not too worried about their offense currently because their defense has been that impressive and on top of that it's not like petrus has been god-awful from when you look at like Satsui. It's not like he's been a turnover machine or anything. It's just he hasn't had many yards. Part of that also is because Goodson's done really well. He did well against Kent State and he did well against Indiana. Um, But if you're looking at it, I'd say Iowa for Big Ten. I feel pretty comfortable with them right now. Oregon for Pac-12. There's really no one in the Pac-12 but Oregon. Maybe UCLA, but I'm going to blow that off. Uh, Big 12 is a big question to me. Um, I could see OU doing it, but OU is struggling against smaller teams, particularly when they're having a struggle against a team like Nebraska. That really brings them into question for me, Um, part of the reason why I could see – part of the reason when we talked about originally, why I could see Cincinnati making college football playoffs this year, I'm not like highly confident on many teams in the Big 12. Um, I could genuinely see Kansas State winning, and that's weird to say. I don't like saying that because I don't like it almost sounds Homer-ish. And then on top of that, it's kind of like a I, I don't get why I see it. But when I could see Kansas State winning it, it doesn't fill me the confidence in the Big 12. I would still say that my I would pick Oklahoma to win the Big 12, but I'm nervous with saying that because they haven't been great uh defensively. And I feel like it's it's the opposite issue of VT. Like their offense has been pretty decent and it's really won them games, but their defense has been why they're still in games. And when you're coming up against a team that has a better defense and when you're coming up against a team that has a decent enough offense, you could get upset. Like a team like Iowa state could pull it off or Kansas state, or um, I mean, even with how they performed against us, West Virginia, maybe and other teams. So I'm not confident, but I'll say Oklahoma, um, ACC still Clemson. We've already talked about that. Um, I don't think I'm missing one.
0: No, it's no, SEC. That's Bama.
1: Get oh, me, come gosh. on. Talk. um Yeah. But to go into the actual last question for it is the teams that you love and teams that you hate after this week of college football. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll just say one hate before we start with the loves. I mean, we're both going to say Virginia Tech, I think. Um, just because <laughs> of, you know, how how the week went. Um, I think with a little bit of us kind of being fans and having that negativity towards it, but on top of that, the offensive side. So I, I, I want to preface that. And since we've talked about him so much, I didn't want to have to talk about him again before we go into it. So I'm pretty sure that we both agree with that.
0: Yeah, I struggle with that. Um, <laughs> oh, man, love and hate. How about I'm going to throw some love Arkansas's way. I'm going to say that I hope that they run their gauntlet, uh, in the sec. They got just madman schedule right now, these next four weeks. Uh, so you're welcoming in A&M. You go to Georgia, and you're welcoming in. No, then you go to Old Miss, and then you're bringing in Auburn. That's a monster four games, and I hope that they overcome it. And I hope that they don't just kind of have like that seven and five season that they could have. Uh, you know, losing those four games and then losing to Bama. Because I think that they can be better than that, and I really hope that they do. Because they feel like a nice story this year. Really, and in terms of hate, I, I don't. I don't know what you want me to say. Uh, I mean, I'll throw some more love Fresno's way. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who I can say I can hate. Uh, da, 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 da. yeah, I don't know who dropped from the rankings. Uh, ASU Miami. Yeah, I'll go with Miami. You know what? I I don't like Miami at all. <laughs> Miami is not a good football team. I would be surprised if they win four games this year.
1: On my love list, um, overall, here we talked about Michigan State a lot, and th- th- trust me, uh, I'm the one. I'm the one that's actually kind of brought up these, and that's why you, 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 you preface a segment with that. Dan didn't have any hand in the Michigan State question; it was all me. So mm-hmm. it, it was it was a little like Sparty Homer thing. I like Michigan State a lot, so that's why they would end up on my love list. Um, they've been really good offensively, as I said. I think it's just that defense needs to be tested. Um, by a decent team and see how they go. So I really love Michigan State coming out of this. Um, To include on that love list as well, uh, I mean, Arkansas, I think it's a good shout. I'll slap them in there. A team that was, I think, on my hate list after week one, I think it was both of them because of how bad of a game they played against each other, uh, that being Wisconsin and Penn State. Um, I'm not going to throw Wisconsin on the love list. I'm going to throw Penn State on the love list. Uh, They had a good performance in the whiteout against Auburn, a team that had been really uh, prolific. Though against smaller teams, they've been prolific offensively and they held them to, uh, you know, two touchdowns and two field goals, And I think that that's a pretty impressive performance. Um, I would also have to slap UNC on that love list. The fact that, sure, UVA's defense is horrible, but the fact that they, you know, put up the same amount of points against UVA that they did against Georgia State, um, there is just kind of shows that that offense has kind of bounced back and, you um, that's kind of why I like them a lot more. I, I feel like I've talked about them already on the love list, but I definitely want to throw Ole Miss on there, um because Ole Miss has been really good, and they put up a better performance against Tulane than Oklahoma did. So, you know, I don't think that's something to take with a grain of salt. Uh, Fresno State, I think obviously deserves to be up there. Um, I, I agree with what you say there. Um, And then another team they're going to throw on the love list is BYU. They've started out 3-0. and They've had two really good wins against Utah and Arizona State, and... I think they're a pretty decent team. Uh, I think they're going to be very competitive. And honestly, they might possibly beat UVA when it comes to late October. And I don't, I don't know when I look at the schedule, I don't see too many teams that could really beat BYU. So maybe BYU is a team that could kind of come out of nowhere into that college football playoff uh, discussion as we're getting towards that October time. Um, really happy as a big 12 fan kind of that they're going to be joining us. And then, I'm also going to, you know, I'll throw MSU in there. So I'll throw Kansas State in there. A lot of teams will love this week. Um, Kansas State being able to put up a decent performance against Nevada um, at uh, at home, their third home game in a row, without their starting quarterback in Skylar Thompson. And hopefully Skylar Thompson will be back by the Oklahoma game in a couple weeks. Um, but Will Howard was able to fill in well, and they had a really good running performance. So I think Wildcats definitely should be up there. Uh, Hateless-wise... Clemson's should still be there. We don't know how their offense is going to be moving forward. Um, I actually also forgot to say Florida on the love list, but given my question, I feel like that's also, you, you, can, you can know that. And then I'd also throw Miami on that hate list um, just because of their start and that they've been pretty bad. And the last team I'll throw on that hate list um, is going to be Buffalo. or No, no sorry, not Buffalo coastal carolina and it's because coastal carolina allowed kansas in the game as i talked about and the fact that they almost lost to buffalo um overall i mean it's not like buffalo's a horrible team but you know they're like a horrible like a uh, college um program but the fact that they have now let two teams that are unranked kind of be competitive with them isn't great and sure they probably have a pretty weak schedule but you can see a team like appalachian state knocking them off um, and maybe if some of these other teams, like, perform really, 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 really well, but I just don't think that Coastal Carolina is that Coastal Carolina team of last year that you could have been like, hey, they should be in college football, like, you know, the team that you wanted to tout towards the 16-team college football playoffs, I think that they're not at that range. So, that's kind of it for the hate list there, and that is it for the NCAA portion. So, and unless you have any objections, I'll move straight into the NFL portion. Let's go for it. Uh, with the NFL portion, I kind of want to start with the fact that, you know, week two, it happens early on NFL seasons, but we have had a lot of injuries this week. we specifically had a lot of injuries to quarterback. So um, not kind of trying to tee you up with the quarterback part, but I do want to ask, um, what injuries do you think the uh, team's need to be concerned by? Oh, man. Uh, I think San Francisco
0: with their running back situation obviously hurts to be honest with you. There's so many that happened yesterday uh, that I I, I haven't been able to straighten them all out. Uh, I think TJ Watt got dinged up. Um, Baker Mayfield got dinged up. Uh, Baker came
1: back in though.
0: So yeah, Baker did come back in. uh, Obviously. And here's the thing.
1: Uh,
0: Okay. No, you know what? Never mind. I think you're going to ask me about this later. So I'll hold off on that. Um, you know what? I, I think I'm just gonna. I might pass on this one because I don't know what the ramifications of so many of these injuries are, and there were there were so many yesterday. I, I just kept seeing the reports coming in and in and in. Uh, it kind of got overwhelming, so I'm yeah. gonna pass on that and see what you have to say.
1: Um, not that just like Jacoby Brissett, I think he's a pretty decent quarterback. He was starting quarterback for Indy for at least a year, two years, I think. Um, but I will say that the Tua injury, um. So it sounds like he might be able to return pretty quickly is a concerning one, because if he does have to miss time, I don't know if Jacoby is going to be the guy to win you games. Uh, Obviously he didn't with Buffalo as they shut him out. Um, I would, here's the thing. I, I want to throw Carson Wentz on that list, but then I also feel like it's something that could develop the run game a little bit more. So I think Carson Wentz is something that it can be concerning, but overall, I don't think it's the worst case scenario. Um, this is not anything negative towards Carson at all. It's just the fact of this team needs to lean more into the run game. Um gosh, I don't remember otherwise. I mean, as you said, there's been a lot of injuries. Um, San Francisco is obviously a big one. Um, Tyrod is really an injury to talk about. Tyrod, he's just so unfortunate, man. He's been so good whenever he's given the chance to start. But then, you know, this time it's injury in LA. It was because of the team doctor. Yeah, time, um, sure it was. Yeah in in buffalo like i guess they just kind of gave up on him and didn't want to give him the money yeah you know etc etc it's just he's been very unfortunate with teams that haven't put full faith in him and houston was going to put faith in him while deshaun watson is going through what he's going through and he gave him that so hopefully he'll be able to come back soon and be able to compete for that job or you know maybe even get traded to a better team if houston wants to get more draft picks i'd love to see that um but those are really, like, the big, big ones to talk about. Um, I don't know how – like, there's probably – there's definitely a lot more that happened, but, like,
0: those those no, are – No, I think you hit the nail on the head with the big ones.
1: Yeah. Um, but to move to the next one, though, uh, we – this was the Sunday night game, uh, Kansas City versus Baltimore, and Baltimore won the game. Um, definitely a bit concerning, particularly after they lost in overtime to Las Vegas, at least in my opinion. But – um, Should Casey really be a Super Bowl favorite?
0: I'm going to still stick with yes, but a graphic that was obviously shown last night really gave me pause. Kansas City's defense is not good. And they, when they get in the red zone, they touchdowns touchdown party, which is not good for winning games. So I'm going to still stick with yes, because they still have the best player on the field at all times, whenever Patrick Mahomes is on offense. But – I'm going to say that they probably got knocked down a peg. I still think that they're the top team in the ACC. I say ACC, AFC.
1: Uh,
0: But uh, I I think that their odds definitely probably got knocked down a peg.
1: From the AFC, this might be a little early to say it, but I'm going to – here, how I'll phrase it is this. How I'll phrase it is they shouldn't be as clear-cut AFC favorites as they should be. Um, most people would have them, you know, like, like clear cut. It's like, Oh, Casey's going to make it chalk. Um, kind of like how, you know, with them and sec, I don't think it's anywhere like that now. Um, you know, we were, we were always willing to talk about dark horses in here and there, but, you know, it was always kind of that feeling of like, Oh, but it's going to be KC that ends up winning it. I feel like with the performance, uh, that Cleveland put in against them, um, is concerning. I feel like Cleveland should have won that game. Honestly, Kansas city should probably be zero and two right now. Um, they just kind of threw it away a little bit towards the end Cleveland on Cleveland's end. Um, You know, Baltimore, the fact that they lose Las Vegas and then in the next week, they beat Kansas city huge. Um, I don't know how you're able to let that happen uh, other than the fact that your defense is poor. Um, So I think that these first two performances by Kansas city are really concerning because it shows that their, their offense is going to have to fight them back into games and We've seen it, it's like, you know, even with, like, Dallas last year before Dak got injured, like, you can have your offense fight you back in the games, but it's not something that's going to keep you successful, and I think some of these more well-balanced teams, particularly when it comes to playoff time, are going to be a lot more concerning because it's going to give them that layer of, like, particularly with, like, a Cleveland, they knew that they should have beat Kansas City in Arrowhead, so when you have that point, it should fill you with more confidence if you have to go back in Arrowhead, that we can beat them third times the charm and the Ravens just beat them. Um, it's it's going to make things interesting if their defense is going to keep playing poor. Um, I don't know if Tyron Mathieu uh, or Honey Badger is still out. Tyron Mathieu, um, but if, if he was, maybe that's part of it for this Baltimore loss. But even even if he was, the fact that your defense is still giving up that many points to a team that just struggled against Las Vegas is, is concerning to me. So they shouldn't be as clear cut as they have been but for them to be favorite i feel like is still justified if that makes sense No, it does. um the next question here um and i think a lot of this has been revolving around tyrod but that kind of tease tease that again um it's do you think the texans aren't the worst team in the nfl given how they performed these first two weeks i
0: think they're about to be i think that uh <laughs> The Taylor injury obviously hurts them. And here's the thing that's unfortunate for them. I think the Texans are a very interesting story because if Deshaun Watson was available, uh, obviously, you know, going around the situation there just for the sake of making a point, they wouldn't be trying to lose. He's out. It's clear that they're trying to tank. I mean, for God's sake, their coach declined a penalty that gave them a short fourth down And when they got to the fourth down, they punted the ball away. And Kevin Stefanski of the Browns was shocked. Um, Here's the thing, they're gonna go forward and they're probably gonna put Tyrod Taylor on IR and he might be done for the season. His hamstring might not even be that bad. Now, look, it's a short week. Normally he might not even play, but he might play the next week. He might play in week four, but they're gonna put him on IR and make him miss three weeks. So I think that they're just gonna try to take the season away now because he was playing really, 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 really good football. Like here, I got this number for you. In an NFL ranking through just the first two weeks, uh, starting quarterbacks on third down, Tyrod Taylor has an uh, expected points added plus uh, completion percentage above expected composite of .418, which is the highest mark in the NFL. Now, I know that's just like a big analytical number I just threw at you, but that's basically saying that he has been the best quarterback in the NFL on third down through the first two weeks. He's been really, really good. Uh so yeah, he's playing at a really high level. You know, tweaked his hamstring. Probably would have been out for this Thursday night game, but then could come back Sunday and could give them some wind down the road and I think the Texans are trying to avoid that cuz still even with Deshaun Watson it's a bad roster. So I don't so they were trying to win games with Deshaun Watson there. I think that Tyrod Taylor showed them, hey, with me a quarterback, we can also still win some games, but I don't think the Texans management wants to do that.
1: I'll say this Um, If Deshaun Watson was in, it's a no. Um, Or if Tyrod was in, I also think it's a no. Um, However, you're now down to Davis Mills and Jeff Driscoll. And Davis Mills yesterday, um, uh, comparatively to Tyrod Taylor, he completed one pass of eight attempts and Tyrod completed 10 of 11. So Tyrod only... Not great, Bob. Davis at seven. So that's kind of bad. And also the fact that or no, 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 no. Davis had 8, eight of 18. Um, so, no, it's different, but, you know, the fact that... But is isn't really. 10, I mean, the fact that Davis Mills misses 10 passes when Tyrod misses 1, and he also threw an interception when Tyrod, let me go ahead and make sure, yeah, he hasn't thrown an interception yet in the NFL, or at least a season. Um, that's pretty big. Um, And then on top of that, I mean, it's just their roster really isn't great in the first place. So when you're going to be led now by a rookie QB who isn't that great. And it was kind of a confusing draft pick when we had looked at it. Um, and you're probably not going to throw Deshaun Watson in even the allegations get cleared. Um, at this point, it just seems like the team's tanking and they're probably going to try to trade Deshaun the off season. And I hope that Tyrod doesn't stay and he starts to get treated like Fitzpatrick has been because Tyrod looks really impressive. So, I think if you're able to get him fit and it, willing to let him start, he could be good in the NFL. So that's basically the plus that you can take from this is that hopefully Tyrod Taylor is going to be treated like Brian Fitzpatrick has been um, throughout his career. Um, but overall, now that Tyrod's out and his incredible season with Houston could possibly be over, whether he's traded, whether he's put on IR, etc., Houston's now the worst team in the NFL again, which, you know, it was scary the fact that they couldn't have been for a couple seconds because without my team starting, uh, it's scary. <laughs> um, Beyond that, uh, actually, I think this was the last question, unless we have anything else to pose here. um, I want to talk about some of these teams that have started out pretty hot. And I want to see if they aren't. If they are just teams that are hot right now, or if these teams are the real deal, teams that you should be looking at when it comes towards playoff time uh, or to compete in it. And those teams are gonna be the Panthers, the Broncos, the Raiders, and the Niners.
0: All right. Let me start with Carolina. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say real deal. And you know what? Looking at my first reaction to this, I think I'm changing my mind as I'm saying this out loud. I think that they can be the real deal because I was impressed with what they did to the saints after what the saints did to the Packers. So on that front, I'm impressed with them. And when I say, and, and when I look at them, I'm looking at an expanded playoff. And I'm looking at the fact that they could be second in the NFC South and they could win eight games and, or, or, uh, apologies, nine games. I think nine and eight would be the record you would need to get, to get into the playoffs in the NFC. So I can say that they're, they're the real deal. I don't think they're too great. I still think Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold is limited, but it doesn't look like they have too bad of a schedule. But yeah, they don't they don't play anyone too daunting. I mean, obviously they have the, the Buccaneers twice, but that's towards the back half of the season. Those like they play the Buccaneers twice in the last three weeks. By that point, we know what the Panthers are looking like. And so if you chalk those up as two losses, you know maybe they're already you know have one foot in the door for the playoffs by that point. So I'm gonna go with, I'm gonna go with real deal for Carolina. All right, moving on to Denver. I'm gonna go real deal. I think that the AFC West is a Uh, powerhouse. I think that Kansas City and Los Angeles bounce back. I think it's going to be hard for them to fight for the playoff, but I I think that they can fight for the playoffs, and I'm not expecting them to be... I wouldn't say that they're going to be a playoff team. I think they're going to be just outside on the outside looking in. If Teddy Ridgewater can keep their play up, though, they might be able to uh, supersede someone like a Miami or something like that. All right. Moving on to we've got uh, Oakland here. Oh, I'm sorry, not Las Vegas. I'm not even used to that yet. I'm gonna say real deal if Derek Carr stays MVP. I think that might be a lazy answer, but I think that Derek Carr, Derek Carr is playing really well, and uh, look at their defense keeps up. That that's been the thing with the Raiders for years now. It's been their defensive talent. If they can play okay, and Derek Carr can keep playing at a high level with that litany of weapons that he has, I think they can be pretty solid, and then. Yeah, I and mean, you know what I think about the Niners. I think that they have a roster that can win that division and can still contend for a Super Bowl. Now, it's not the same Super Bowl roster. There are definitely still some problems on it, and I think that they need to make the change to Lance. I, still think, that it's a playoff team. I think all four of those teams are playoff teams or at the very least fringe. I don't think that they're going to flame out. I think that they can contend to the playoffs until the very last week.
1: Um. When I look at these, I think the most real deal team of these four is the Panthers. Um, they've looked pretty good. Now, sure, they almost let the Jets back into the game week one. But after New Orleans, like how they performed against Green Bay in week one, um, as you kind of mentioned, uh, and then for the following week for the Panthers to, um, you know, kind of uh, put them in the dirt in a sense um not not as bad as you know green bay and new orleans but still um it was just kind of surprising and i think that that shows that carolina is a really good team as i said sam darnold looks like a really solid quarterback right now and on top of that i honestly think that this is a team that could take a game away from tampa which might be weird to say but christian McCaffrey's performed well against them i talked about the fact that pass catching running backs i think for some odd reason tend to do well against tampa um And I feel like when it comes time to it, if McCaffrey, like, I I think the offense is kind of like that thing of, you know, it's like if McCaffrey stays healthy, but I I feel like at this point, even if McCaffrey wasn't healthy, Carolina would at least compete with Tampa. And I think with McCaffrey, Carolina has a chance to beat Tampa. So I really like this Panthers team right now. Um, I think they're really good and I feel more and more confident that they should be a lock for the playoffs. Um, and I feel a lot more confident now when I, I'm i pretty sure I put them ahead of New Orleans when we had our uh, ranking predictions. Either I did or I was fringed and I didn't, I don't I exactly remember on that one. The Broncos, I'm going to say starting hot just because they've come up against um, two teams to start here that like, you know, they, they aren't the creme de la creme of creams to put it in a nice way Um, you know beating New York isn't really that big of a feat to me and beating the Jaguars isn't that big of a feat to me Um, it's really going to be how they perform against the Ravens where I would really say if they're the real deal or not Um, I like City Bridgewater Um, I think they're like their offense is doing better than expected and I think their defense is a defense that could cause problems Um, but when you're starting off against two of the weaker teams in the NFL, it kind of feels like, um, I'm not too concerned about you quite yet. Um, Vegas, I'm so in the middle on Vegas because all signs are pointing to that they're a real deal, but I'm still concerned about the offensive line. And as you said, I'm still concerned about that defense. So I have to say just with my concerns that I think they're just starting hot and they're one of the teams that, are kind of a flash in the pan and they look like they're really good to start, but something happens, whether it's injury related or whether it's um, personnel related down the lines that they're just going to start to struggle. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's already concerning that Derek Carr got injured and that Josh Jacobs went out with injury um, for this past game. Their running game is not impressive whatsoever to me. And I feel like with that in mind, then you'll start to see Carr getting cut out more. And if Carr possibly gets injured for a long stand of time, I don't know if Mariota would be able to take up that offense like that, though I do like him. So I also think that this team's just starting hot. Um, I'm, In all honesty, I'd probably say I'm higher on the Broncos than the Raiders, which feels weird Um, because, you know, the Raiders have beat, I would say, two teams that are better than the two teams the Broncos have beat. Um, and then for the Niners, I'm I'm also gonna have them on starting hot just because they beat two teams that I said were gonna be towards the bottom of the NFL this year. Um, we both agree the fact that Trey Lance does need to come in. I don't think that offense is really special without him, and I feel like they're a team that like they would be a surprise loss next week to Green Bay, given Green Bay will probably do well tonight against Detroit as we're recording this Monday night, uh, and that game actually is kicked off so. Um, with that in mind, I, I I just feel like San Fran isn't a team right now that I feel confident in, um, just to be able to do that. And I feel like if they throw Trey Lance in, I would say that they're more likely to be the real deal than starting hot. But, um, without that, and the fact that they let Detroit back into the game and they almost even let Philly back into the game, when you're coming up against a better offense than Philly and Detroit, it's going to be a worst case scenario for you.
0: All right, that that all sounds good. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Yeah. All right, with that being said, we covered a lot today. Uh, Covered the Virginia Tech loss to West Virginia this past weekend. We introduced our fantasy segment as well as the ACC power rank segment. And we wrapped up with some questions from the weekend from Colburn uh, regarding NCAA football as well as the NFL week two. So with that being said, for Colburn Bergstrom, I am Dan Steinmark. Thank you guys so much for listening. Have a great day and take care.